Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host, Travis Tyler, and joining me today is Brent. How are you doing today, bud? Doing good. Good to be here. This is actually a second attempt at recording this episode. Had a little technical difficulty, but you don't know that as a listener, just us. And I want to have a little story time with you. Can we have a little story time today? It goes a little something like this. Once upon a time, in a land far away, much colder than where we live, there was a flock of penguins they loved their iceberg. They had lived on it for generations, raised their children and their grandchildren on this iceberg. But one strange penguin named Fred started noticing an issue with the iceberg. Looks like maybe just maybe it was a little smaller than it was the previous day. And as he began to look closer, he started noticing it was getting smaller under the water as well. What does he do? He gets together a team. Fred, Alice, Lewis, Buddy, the professor, and my personal favorite character in the story, the No-No Bird. <laughs> His name's No-No because he doesn't believe that it all is happening. And this guiding coalition brings their findings to the flock of birds. But what should they do? They've lived on this iceberg for so long. Can they change? Will they change? Or will they let that iceberg break up in the middle of winter, killing all those beautiful little furry penguin babies and all those other penguins? What is the solution? Well, today we're going to be talking about that little parable and applying it to the church world. And we're talking about leading change in the local church. So uh, when we think about leading change here, yelling the word change or saying the word change in a Baptist church, particularly in a revitalization setting here in Appalachia like we're in, is kind of like yelling shark at the beach. What do you say, Brent? Absolutely. What is the first thing that most people hear in the pew when they hear the pastor talk about change, you think? You know, I'm not sure exactly the thought that might go through their mind, but I know in general their reaction is just, this is going to be bad. There is a, I think we talked about this. It, earlier. It, it, it's probably, it, one of the thoughts is probably we're going to have to find a new pastor. <laughs> especially depending on what the change is, right? It's like, hear me out. The change is everyone's going to get a free ice cream. <laughs> right? What is the change, right? What is that? Um, well, uh, we, we, we're going to talk about some steps today to maybe help you if you're a pastor or a lay leader out there and you see that there are changes that are coming. I want to put a question out to you, Brent, and this is something I think about having children and you've got small children, and I, I'm sure you think about this as well. And for those of you listening today, I want you to ask this self your question. What is the church in the U.S.? What is your church going to look like in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? When you ask yourself that question, Brent, what do you, what do you see down the road as far as 30 years out for the church here in Appalachian? You're talking about the church at large in the area? or our church Yeah, just kind of generalizing for most of the churches. Well, if our job is to encourage on this podcast, I might have to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> it, you know, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it's it's bleak 
because there is a, a real there there's a real inability in most churches to be able to connect with the next generation which you know 30 years down the road the next generation is supposed to be the ones sitting in in the pews that that you're sitting in now and uh and the generation after that and you know there's this there's this this huge disconnect um especially in our in our area and and really a lack of interest from uh the from gen z um but even millennials and so um i mean 30 years from now millennials are going to be senior adults right Right. And, and Gen Z is going to be, you know, they're going to be the ones with uh, kids in middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now, realistically, it's hard to see. It's, it's hard to see with, with any amount of confidence that those families and those senior adults are going to be spending their Sunday mornings in church. Okay. Well, that, that is, uh, it is interesting to see what, what's happening across the pond in England. I think England in many ways is a predictor of what we will see here in about 20, 25 years or so. I recently listened to a podcast with uh, one of my former professors at Southern and he was interviewing a, um, he was the president of the seminary, biblically faithful seminary there in, in London, England. So a very large metropolitan area. And in this large metropolitan area, he said the average size of a congregation there, you want to guess what that is right now? I'm going to say 10 people. 20 to 25. Oh, really? That's uh, a, that's a, that's a large church, you know, yeah. over there right now. Yeah. Which, you know, their, their churches, their, their church, you know, they're not as populated with churches as we are either because so many of them have closed. Um, so, yeah. And I think we'll probably are going to see more church closures. We will see a shrinking in services and the church may take forms that it has not taken in the past. Things like three to thrive may pass out of, of use phase out of use. And uh, you know, but anyway, but let's talk about, you know, leading change here. Um, first of all, I would say you need to figure out what needs to change before you just start going and changing things. As I've said before on the podcast, doing revitalization is a bit like trying to rework a plane while it's taking off from liftoff out of an airport, which makes it extremely difficult as you're trying to change parts out while the plane is in motion. And so first thing you need to do is determine what changes are needed. How how are we to determine what changes need to be made? What are some helpful things, Brett? You know, we have that, or well, I think it's actually something that you maybe revised from Nam but it's the, like the insider outsider um, perspectives, you know, those, those types of having some type of questionnaire or some sort of uh, series of questions um, to be able to ask longtime members, maybe people that haven't been at the church that long, but also people in the community as well. And and being able to sort of judge the, uh, not just being able to judge the, um, the community's perception of the church, but also being able to sort of evaluate the people inside the church and their perspective on where the church is. Um, Because even though people are opposed to change in general, or at least right away, once you talk to people within a church long enough, you're going to, you're going to hear them say things that they think need to change. Mm -hmm. All of them may not be good suggestions or things that actually do need to change, but some of, some of them will be. And so, um, you know, for me, the, the first way to evaluate is, is just ask the people. 
you know, they're not going to be able to see everything. If they could see everything, then they may not be in the position they were in. But part of it may not, it may not be a vision problem, you know, being able to see what needs to change as much as it is just an implementation problem. Right. Um, but, but regardless, start with the people. We need to, I like what, uh, I think it was Toyota came up with this process. And even though it's not necessarily a process in which uh, we would say uh, can directly apply, but it's a decent process. We need, we, anytime we say, does this need to change? At Toyota, they would do this. They would ask the three whys. So why does this need to change? And then it had to survive another round of whys and that had to survive a third round of whys. So it had to survive that. So I think that, and then surrounding yourself with people that can advise you, looking at trends in your community, looking at trends in the pattern of your church, and uh, just, um, you know, sometimes it's going to be trial and error. You're just going to have to try things and see what works and what doesn't, you know what I mean? But let's say you have picked a, and we're, we're going to have to be pretty general here, you know, you picked a particular leadership initiative and change initiative you want to implement in your church. First step is going to have to be establishing a sense of urgency. What do we, what do we mean when we say establishing a sense of urgency? What do you think that is, Brent? You're going to have to, uh, I say, I say paint a bleak picture, but more than likely you're just going to have to paint a realistic picture of what we talked about just a second ago. What does it look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And I think I've heard you say before, I don't know if, uh, it may not be original to you, but I've heard you say, you know, several times that maybe the best way to do that is to sort of hit the heart and say to the grandparents, what about your grandkids? Mm. You know, and, and I think, so I think maybe taking the, the family route, if you will, is a good way to establish a sense of urgency and Hey, if we don't do something, it, this this isn't going to be here for our grandkids. There's not going to be anything left for our grandkids. What are you, what are you willing to change to see your grandkids come and know Christ yeah. and be part of this body? Yeah. Or to be part of the body of Christ? What will you give up? And sadly, sometimes the answer is nothing. Yeah. In which case, you know, there is a way to go with that one. But well, and I think I think circling back to what we were talking about with um, with like identifying when to change or what to change, you know, for a pastor coming in. You have, you have to evaluate the context that you're in before you evaluate what needs to change, like, because obviously everything's not going to work in context. So understand the community and understand the context, uh, the culture of the church and the community before you do any of that. But um, I think, I think once, you've, once you've done that, once you've understand, understood the culture, you can use some of the cultural trends in the community to also communicate a sense of urgency for what, what does really need to change. Mm. I agree. And then you need to create some kind of guiding group coalition. I hate the word committee, maybe team would be better vision team or something like that. But let's talk about who should be on this team because that's kind of critical for how well it's going to do or not do. Now, in my little story I gave earlier, you got Fred who sees the need and sees what's going to happen. You got kind of a visionary leader there. Alice is able to communicate it. Uh, Lewis is sort of this young penguin that connects. Most people like him. They're a likable person. Or excuse me, that's Buddy. Buddy is the likable person. Lewis is younger. The professor confirms the data. Um, and then the no-no bird, Mr. No-No, is, doesn't believe any of it. 
Um, why in the world would they put no-no on that little group? You think? You you've got to have you've got to have someone to. Uh, I mean, I hate the terminology, but you've got to have the devil's advocate, right? You've you've always got to have someone that's going to be uh, that's going to provide a different perspective especially especially when it's least wanted because sometimes when it's least wanted is when it's when it's most needed mm-hmm. so you, you've got to have that um like i say I, I hate the term but that devil that devil's advocate person that's that's always well i don't think it's going to work because of this or i don't think we should do it because of this um you, you can't you can't just have a bunch of yes men and yes women um because there's there's not going to be there's not going to be any sort of accountability for for what what sort of changes are actually taking place and i think that you want to know like this is me anyway as a leader i want to know what problems i'm going to run into before i get out on the floor of the church and so you know given that chance for no no to speak up in the smaller group where he's actually probably in the minority is a good Mm -hmm. spot because you can also see what kind of influence he's going to have on the rest of the group and how much that the naysayers are going to have on the rest of the church, because it doesn't matter what your leadership initiative is. I will guarantee you 5% of the church will never get on board with it. Well, and if you can have, if it's, if it's possible, if it works with the rest of the team, and if it's someone who you feel like you can trust, if you can have the chief of the naysayers on the team and already win them over before it ever goes to the floor, um, then that's going to go a long way with the rest of the naysayers. We should call them the no-no tribe. The no-no. <laughs> yes. No-no. Yeah, if you can get them. And so really what we're looking for from the no-no tribe, you're not really looking for affirmation because you're not going to get it. And to think that you're going to get affirmation from the no-no tribe, I think that's pie in the sky, rose-colored glasses for a pastor or for a, a church. What you need from the no-no tribe is you need toleration. Does that make sense? So basically, what does that look like when we say we need toleration from them? What's the difference between toleration and approval? Well, I, the way we look at it, I don't know. I don't know what your stance is on this. Malfrey's group sort of helped help me work through this a little bit. But like, if our church development team, which is you know, we said you can call it whatever. That's just what we call our church development team. We're not looking for a hundred percent of the people to agree 100%. We're looking for a hundred percent of the people to be at least 80% on board. Mm. And so I think, I think, you know, that 80% on board is like, I've got some hesitations, but I'm willing, I'm willing to support it. If the rest of the group is willing to support it, I'm willing to get behind it, promote it. Um, Cause I think if you have anything less than that, there's this tendency to not only not promote it, but, but maybe even, campaign against it (laughs) well and you have uh you have degrees of yes right so like what you were describing is a weak yes it's like okay i'm going to kind of go along with this because of the greater good but there's some people that are like all on board and ready to see it happen like that's a strong yes and then you got in between yeses and most of the congregation is in between but the irony of the whole thing is they usually listen more to the no-no tribe than any other group in the church And so you've got to, you know, if you think you're going to come in and lead and you're not going to have to deal with the no-nos or you're going to chase them off, you're sadly mistaken. 
I don't, I don't know of any church where you're going to go in and not have to deal with the no-no tribe, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you can love them. Listen, I've got friends that are in the no-no tribe and <laughs> we go to breakfast. We have a good time. They're still God's people. They're just, you know, they, they're struggling in this one area and, you know, they're not, they're not always going to be supportive. And something yeah. I've also found is sometimes the no-no tribe changes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. maybe on this initiative, it, these are the no-no tribe, but on this initiative, it's these over here on the left side of the they're on the organ side that are in the no-no tribe this time, not on the piano side. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, Do you find that it's necessary to, it, like, if you have a team like that, it, it's, it's necessary to make, make sure that, uh, that the no-no person's no is, is, uh, is what the group ends up going with from time to time to keep them as an invested part of the group and not just being it turning into like a, a complete anarchist <laughs> well what i like to do is i like to hand them um i like to hand them decisions to make whenever it's quite all right whichever way we go and i don't have a whole lot of skin in the game and then when they when they feel like they're making those decisions which they are making legitimate important decisions like you know for example i've handed off and said okay we need to have a business meeting you pick the day and time i'll make it work you know what i mean like that's fine. You know what I mean? They can pick whatever and they they're, they're legitimately part of the process for the whole church. Um, and every now and then, and sometimes your no, no tribe may be right. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Sometimes they might be, I'm not going to say the majority, but sometimes I think they might be. So, I mean, if you oppose most leadership initiatives, you're bound to come across one that's not going to work. So All right. Uh, Creating this guiding coalition is important. Then you're going to be looking at developing a vision and strategy. And I think we may just uh, do a whole episode where we talk about this. Communicate the change. Brent, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible to over-communicate in any kind of Baptist church? Absolutely not. (laughs) Say it again, say it again, say it again. When we were implementing a new service here at Grace Baptist Church, I want to I want to be clear how we did this process because this is kind of one of the things I used here in leading that and helping us with that. We went to the church first and introduced it in a business meeting. We asked them to pray about it for a month. We came back, went over it again, asked the church to affirm it. The church affirmed it. Then, or excuse me, then in between, wait, sorry, in between the introduction and the affirmation, we took three or four months. And during those three or four months, we went to every Sunday school class of the church and we went over it with them and talked to all of them. The first, the first group we went to, guess who it was? We went to those that we thought would probably have the hardest time with it. And we went to them first. We wanted them to have the information first. And when we got back to the thing, I said, now, before we vote on this tonight, before we affirm this tonight, I want you to go over it one more time with them. I was going over this with one of the leaders of the team. They said, who in the world hasn't heard about this? We've been talking about this for four or five months. Who has not heard about this? I said, okay, do this for me. When you get up there before you present, I want you to ask if anybody has not heard or seen what you're about to present before we finally put the affirmation on it. And he did that. And guess what? Like four or five people's hands went up after months, months of communicating a vision. How long and how do you go about communicating a vision? Well, I can, I can tell you there, I would say, I, I'm going, to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say probably half of the pastors that listen to this podcast probably preached a 2020 vision series, right? Because that was the thing to do. 
if that is all you did, your people didn't get it. I mean, they just didn't get it. What I've found is the church hasn't understood or grasped what you're trying to communicate, especially when it relates to like mission and vision until you start having people tell you that they're tired of hearing about it. Yeah. Well, what I found was the guiding coalition in this narrative I'm giving you, they were sick of talking about it and they were Mm -hmm. like, surely we don't have to go over this again. And about the time you and the guiding coalition are sick of talking about it because you've talked about it so much, it's probably about the time everybody starts getting it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's probably going to take, I think you said you were like, what, six months? Six months. But yeah, but I, I, and I would say six, six to 12 months, depending on what it is. I mean, if you're talking about something major like mission and vision, you know, things like that, then, then uh, at least six to 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once the, once the vision's communicated, accepted, you begin empowering folks to take ownership in that in various ministries and ways. And you need to generate short-term wins. Uh, what, is it, what does this look like when we're generating short-term wins? Yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but this is an often overlooked, like especially if you read a lot of revitalization um, books and curriculum. And it's something I don't even think I've heard Nam talk about a lot in their revitalization stuff. So it's often overlooked, but it is one of the most fundamental parts to being able to successfully revitalize because we've talked about this before. You're talking about at a minimum, probably a seven year process before you ever start seeing any like good, good fruit. Like, you know, you really, you really look back and say, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're going now. And by then you're probably needing to start a new S curve, you know, a new growth cycle anyway. But, um, you know, small victories for the thing that really, that really helped us. And I hate always using our church as an example because, you know, we by no means are perfect and made me mistakes. And and this is one of the mistakes we made not celebrating this enough. But the first thing I think is increasing the core group because immediately, like when you start talking about church revitalization and a healthy church, automatically people's mind goes to attendance, attendance and baptisms, attendance and baptisms. Well, if you're coming into a church revitalization situation where you've got, you know, 15 or 20 people that have been in church for 25 or 30 years. Um, as crazy as this may sound, what that church needs is not a higher attendance and more baptisms. What that church needs is those 15 or 20 people that have been in church for 25 or 30 years to get serious about Jesus and to be invested in the life of the church. Mm. And so we talked about our core group. You know, that's what the situation I just explained is basically what I came into. And I would say the core group in the church, people that were actually invested were maybe three people. And so the thing that we've really emphasized, we're going on six, I actually just, just got to six years uh, with, with me as pastor there. We've been in the revitalization process for about four, about four and a half. Um, But one of the things we've really focused on is core group development. So, we're, we're now, we're from three people that I would consider core group to somewhere between 28 and 30 people in our core group. And being able to celebrate things like that is, is really important because for the first, 
for the first two or three years, you know, we weren't seeing, we, we weren't seeing any baptisms and, you know, like right now, that's a big thing with the Southern Baptist convention is we're, we're not seeing enough baptisms. We're not seeing enough baptisms and we're not, we need to see more um, true baptisms, true evangelism happening. But um, that's not what the church needed. The church had, the church had lukewarm Christians that that needed to change first. Like that was, that was the focus. It was just as important that we were moving lukewarm Christians into the core group as it was that we were evangelizing new Christians because to evangelize new Christians and to baptize new Christians, we didn't have a foundation to build off of, right? We didn't, for them to come into our church would not have been the most healthy thing for them. And so we had to get into a position to where we could, we could start worrying about those things. And we are, we are now, I think we baptized 21 last year or something like that. So um, that was incredible. And that was something that was easy to celebrate, obviously, but up until this point, we've really had to focus on like celebrating core group development and spiritual growth within, within the body more so than numbers. Jesus or John said in first John chapter uh, two, verse three and four, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. He's giving this exhortation against bogus believers or people that are trying to uh, claim Christ and yet not live his commands. You know, the commands of the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. So, yes, uh, it, it is sometimes going to be just simply calling them back to be what they are and that is those who follow Christ and trust him. All right. I'm going to tell you the end of the penguin parable now. Are you ready? You, I know you were dying to know what the penguins did because we have to land the plane here shortly anyway. Yeah, uh, the penguins, they they listened to the coalition. Buddy explained it to everybody because he was the most likable person in the group. And all the penguins got on board with trying something different. And they actually became nomadic. They, ad they adapted a lifestyle where they would move from iceberg to iceberg that was safe per season, and that became their life. And so if they had stayed on that iceberg, though, the iceberg shortly broke up after that. And so everyone lived happily ever after. But that was a completely different cultural and community shift from how those little penguins had lived their whole life. And I think that's what we're talking about here. You know, this really wasn't an episode about what is the church going to be like in 30 years, but I think the church is going to be a lot different than how we see it now. Uh, it's kind of funny. Some of my favorite movies growing up were the Back to the Future movies with Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Mm -hmm. And I think it spurred my love for sci-fi sci and, you know, time travel movies like shows like Doctor Who. And che I, mean, I even like that cheesy British sci-fi stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really funny to go back and watch Back to the Future Part 2, where they go into the future from 1985 into the all the way into the future year of 2015 and in 2015 everybody has flying cars and then they got some things right like you know you can talk to people on a video screen which is what we're doing today for the recording uh, but there were a lot of things they got wrong and so I know we could be wrong but I think seeing what our um, seeing what is happening in Western Europe and in England and seeing how it's it's happening now on, on coastal city areas. I, I think it will reach the mountains and, you know, it may take a little bit longer, but I think it'll be here it and will. we'll follow suit with a more secularization. And so I think we've got to start thinking, okay, if this is where it's going to go and this is what's going to happen, 
how do we need to adapt and change to continue to be faithful for the commands of Christ? All right, any closing thoughts today before we land the plane here on implementing change? I just want to circle back to something I said at the beginning when we were talking about 30 years down the road. Um, And I think Matthew would have probably added this if he would have been on with us today, but um, he didn't. So I'm going to add it and I'm going to take the credit for adding it. (laughs) But uh, if, as we're talking about 30 years down the road, if your church is still like saying, we've got to reach millennials, we've got to reach millennials, not to be the negative Nancy, but you've already missed because now millennials have kids and, and, their life is busy and, you know, miss, miss the boat on that one. It's, you know, you're trying to reach a whole different generation now as far as, as far as children's ministry and stuff goes. And so I think that's important to keep in mind as you start to look towards the future and you start to look around and say, there's not any millennials and you may reach the millennials by reaching their children, but uh, don't, don't think that reaching generation Z is the same as the same as reaching uh, reaching the millennials. So I would just say, keep that in mind. And, uh, and also 30 years down the road, when it comes to church revitalization, we may be talking a lot more about church mergers than we are revitalization, which is a whole different, probably series of podcasts. <laughs> if we could only get them to work. Yes. <laughs> I've been a part we're, of we're, we're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll do an episode on that. I think in the near future, I I can share what not to do. So, uh, and sometimes that's just as important as what to do. You know. Yeah. All right, Brent. Well, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the parable today of the penguins. Look around your iceberg, <laughs> friends. Are you losing ice? I know you've lived on this iceberg for generations, but is it starting to melt? Are you going to have to find a new way of life to continue to love your neighbor as yourself and to fulfill the Great Commission? We never change the direction. We always stand on the principles and the truth of Scripture. But sometimes our methodologies may change. So thank you all. Join us again next time. Appreciate you, Brent. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian. Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.